Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author of residence at Midwestern Seminary. And we've got a great show for you today. You know, we have this recurring series on mission in different ministry contexts. Had our good friend Ed Romine talked to us about ministry in Mormon, Utah. We've had David McElmore on ministry in the Bible Belt. Uh, Eric Raymond on ministry in New England. And today we've got uh, a good friend and leader from Silicon Valley. Justin Buzzard is founding and lead pastor of Garden City, a church in San Jose, California. He's authored or co-authored several books, including The Big Story, Ice Cities Matter, and Date Your Wife. And he's here today to help us continue the series through different missional contexts by telling us about ministry in Silicon Valley. Justin Buzzard, how are you, brother? Hey, I'm well. Good to good to be with you here, and uh, excited to talk to whoever's listening. <laughs> so, what time is it for you? I, I love this. It's, I'm acting like you're on the other side of the world. It's 3 p.m. where I'm at. Yeah, 1:05. It's 1:05 p.m. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to get a little hot in my office here. Yeah. Uh, it's like 80 degrees outside and heating okay. up here a little bit. Yeah, that's a little warmer, isn't it? I mean, is that is that normal for y'all? 80 degrees? Yeah, it's normal for this time of oh, year. Okay. We don't have your humidity, man, your Kansas City thing. So 80 degrees yeah. is pretty nice out here. It feels really good. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was out. Uh, I flew in. To, we flew into San Jose last last month. We were doing a week in like San Luis Obispo area. So so not necessarily real close by. But we flew into San Jose. And uh, man, the weather was fantastic. I just thought <laughs> this is why people live here. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's, 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 every day it felt wonderful. Yeah, it's it's an incredible climate. You pay for the climate because it's That's, real expensive here. But the climate, I, I don't think you can beat the Northern California climate. It's amazing. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Uh, brother, I want to talk to you about uh, your ministry context, what it's like to do mission, uh, you know, to be on mission uh, for the kingdom of God in Silicon Valley. And I thought we'd just begin by you just kind of giving us a, a, a portrait of the context. Tell us about Silicon Valley. Uh, I don't even want to assume all of our listeners know why it's even called that. Um, yeah. They probably they probably heard of of it, but sure. why is it called Silicon Valley? What's the deal? What's it like? Yeah, well, let's start with. So I'm in the Bay, larger region, Bay Area, of California. That's you know San Francisco, all the way down to San Jose, across Oakland, about eight million people. Uh, Silicon Valley uh, was first named. It's sort of a subset of this larger Bay Area. It's first named this because this is where silicon was really developed. What goes into all of our computer chips, where people started really starting with. Fairchild Semiconductor in the 50s and then Intel and these guys discovering, whoa, this is what we can do with these computer chips and just the invention here of um, technology that has really transformed the world. So got Santa Clara County, which is a region of about 2 million people, is kind of the traditional uh, naming of Silicon Valley, that region. That includes Palo Alto, uh, you know, Stanford, uh, San Jose. Uh, where, where I am. Um, but it's become a, a way of almost describing the entirety of the Bay Area. Companies that are headquartered in San Francisco are called Silicon Valley sometimes. So it's, yeah, it's this region, this uh, beautiful, broken, fast paced, great climate, expensive, dynamic, diverse, uh, full of opportunity region where, where I get to live, where God's yeah. called me. Yeah. What are some of the companies that would have, uh, maybe not their headquarters, but or, or or maybe their headquarters, but would be very prominent, kind of dotting yeah. their 
Oh, so much. I mean, you know, Facebook now, Meta is headquartered here. Obviously, Apple is headquartered here. I'm about seven miles from Apple's headquarters campus here. Uh, Tesla was headquartered here. They still have most of their operations and offices here, but they moved it to uh, their main headquarters to Austin. Um, gosh, Google, obviously, here. I'm going to, who well, everybody. I mean, Zoom, Zoom's two miles down the street from me. Zoom's headquarters. You've heard of Zoom. You use Zoom. Yeah. Not uh, Skype. Not no, Skype. We're Skype, and I haven't used this in ten years, man. I don't know what <laughs> Skype's probably headquartered here too. I don't know. I just I haven't heard of Skype in forever. <laughs> I think Skype is in a strip center over here in Kansas City somewhere. It, man, it it might be. It might be. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, tech is uh, just all over the place here. Um, you know, there's big name you know places like Apple and Google, but also just so many brand new things we haven't even fully heard of yet. You know, companies like. Archer Aviation that want to transform how people travel and uh, little electronic helicopters in the sky and all that kind of stuff. It's it's here. It's here. Well, okay. So you feel like a California boy to me. I don't want to assume though. Did you grow up in yeah. this area or just in California or no? Yeah, California. I'm a fifth generation Northern Californian. So I grew up two hours from here, Sacramento, born and raised. And then I've been here in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley since 2002, so over 20 years. Uh, so, have you ever left? Did you ever li- live anywhere else? Yeah, I went to. Uh, I've only ever lived in S cities for some reason. So I went from Sacramento to uh, Spokane, uh, Spokane, Washington. I lived there for a year and a half, but it was way too cold there. Um, started off college there, uh, played college football and all that up there, but I hated the cold and I miss California. Uh, so then I transferred down to Santa Barbara, California. I was in Santa Barbara, California. And then since then, I've just been here in the Bay Area in S City, Saratoga, San Carlos, San Jose. So California. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, so tell us a little bit about planting Garden City. Like w- what year was that? What was it like coming into plant? Uh, yeah. well, what's the What's the story of the church? Yeah, the story of the church is um, when I first moved to the Bay Area, I started out as a youth pastor. I loved that. I was a youth pastor at a great church for four years, then went on and became basically an associate pastor at another great church here in the Bay Area, 30 minutes north of where I live right now. Uh, I was like the second uh, preaching pastor, a, a very large church for the Bay Area, 2,000 people for the Bay Area. That's like really huge. Um, and ran a ministry to 20-somethings and all that. And uh, out of there is how I planted, how I planted Garden City. Um, We missed, my wife and I, my wife Taylor, we missed the South Bay, which is where we are now, South Bay, San Jose, Silicon Valley. We missed it, um, wanted to be back down here, and we came and we planted the church. Uh, We had just three people and 3,000 bucks and a big God and a big dream of reaching this place with the gospel in uh, a fresh and new way. And God's just been really good to our church. So our church next month will turn 11 years old. So we're almost 11 years into it. Uh, and it has been awesome and it's been uh, really difficult and it's been very satisfying. And it's been all it's been all those things. Yeah, we just watched God, you know, early on, we watched God just save people, disciple people. A lot of leaders get made, watch the church uh, really grow. Obviously, COVID's been crazy. Um, the one of the greatest difficulties we deal with here, one of the greatest difficulties I personally deal with as a pastor and guy and friend is just the transience of this place. So, you know, people just, people move here for work because they get a job with a tech company and a good salary or they want to have their startup dreams here. But after a while, after, you know, kid number two comes, 
or after just the, the cost of living just hits them in a bigger way or after they realize, man, I'm, I'm not going to be able to afford home or I, it's not sustainable for me to be here. They move, they move back to where they're from, uh, you know, move back to uh, move to a cheaper place. Uh, and so that transients is hard. So we deal with that a lot in the church, the people that are here for just a few years. Um, and our job is, hey, how do we love them, disciple them, care for them? So they leave with a transformed life and they go and they impact their new city, their new church in a great way. So, yeah, transients is a big thing here. We planted our first church during uh, COVID. And I mean, the lockdown here was, I don't know what it was like in Kansas City, but here it was as aggressive as anywhere else. In the, I mean, it was insane here. Yeah. So planted our first church during that time, sent out um, my friend and our associate pastor and 50 people from our church and, and money and planted a church about 15 minutes away from us. That was exciting, uh, but came during COVID and came while we were watching more people than ever move away. Uh, so that was wild. And then our church has been up until two weeks ago, we've been meeting outside for a year and a half. We did the online only thing for, I don't know, what was that, five months or something. And then uh, we've been outside. We've been meeting at a major league soccer stadium, San Jose Earthquakes, right? You saw it probably as you came in, landed at the airport. It's right across the street from the San Jose airport. Okay. We, we met there for a year and a half and worked great, great during COVID because um, it, wherever people fell, um, you know, politically with issues with the virus or no issues with the virus, whatever, we just said, hey, we have like the safest, best place for you to gather in a massive open field. You can socially <laughs> distance, you know, 20 yards if you want to. Um, so that really helped us. And yeah. now we're at a new spot and we're inside and it's, it's an adventure. Church planning is an adventure. For sure. What, what would you say, brother, in addition to, you know, the transients would make, um, I mean, what's unique, maybe what's uniquely hard about ministry aside from that, where you are, what's the spiritual sort of make up you know um I'm, I'm i'm assuming i don't want to assume but there's not a lot of cultural christianity there yeah um, no there's yeah. there's there's basically zero cultural christianity which is an asset which is which i like and i thrive thrive in that there's there's zero of that so um things are pretty you know you're bringing the gospel into no cultural christianity into just a, a paganism into and, that, and that's exciting and it's really fun to watch god God work in that. Uh, but yeah, it's a incredibly unchurched place. It depends on which study you read. Everyone has a slightly different study. Uh, but most would put that the population of the Bay Area, this 8 million person region, is about 6% churched. Uh, some say 5, some say 8. But it's, inc- it's just incredibly, incredibly low. So when people find out that I'm a pastor, that's just kind of a, wow, that's a crazy thing. I've never met a pastor before um, people discover, hey, our family is part of a church, um, loves our church, loves this community of people. That's just a it's a foreign concept. And that's hard, but it's also incredibly, I think, attractive and interesting because you're just this this light and this new thing and this different thing shining in the darkness of the, the Bay Area. And people are people are really lonely here. I mean, loneliness is a problem everywhere but that loneliness is compounded after the isolation of of covid just because most people who are not from here they move here for work that's the great kind of idol of this place work success make the big bucks in the tech company make a name for yourself with your your startup with your entrepreneurial ideas um 
And pretty quickly, people out here, whether they're successful or unsuccessful, discover it. You know, this just really has not satisfied me being out here and achieving my work dreams or watching my work dreams get crushed. Uh, and they're really lonely. And just a big hallmark of our church is pulling people into community in our church, community with God and community with one another. And that's been lots of fun. Yeah, I, I would um, assume there's um, ethnic diversity pretty rich as, as oh, well. Yeah, in your yeah, yeah, incredibly ethnically diverse. Uh, it, where we are, San Jose. So San Jose um, is a little over a million people, 10th biggest city in in the nation. Roughly, these are, these are kind of the rough numbers, but it's about one third Asian, one third Hispanic, one third white. Uh, the black population is about 3% mm. in there, pretty, pretty low uh, in, in San Jose. And, you know, within that, you know, when I'm saying Asian, that's that's a, a big umbrella. That's that's part of, you know, the Indian population. That's um, lots of different languages spoken here. San Jose State University, I know this was true two years ago. I assume it still is. More languages are spoken there than any university in America. Just incredibly diverse, 35,000 students. So all kinds of wonderful, beautiful people here for our church to love on and reach. When I was in New England, one of the things that I that I learned through being there, um, you know, very irreligious region also, was when I encountered evangelical Christianity and <laughs> in, in out you know outsiders, so to speak. It very often was among non-white residents. Now, there's not a whole lot of non-white residents in where I, where I was in New England, but yeah. in general, you 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 go to Boston and in uh, other places. If you're going to the Christian churches there, you're going to find um, Haitian and and uh, Korean and Chinese. And, yes. Um, are, are you seeing that as well? That when you do discover or when you do find, uh, maybe not even Christianity, but just spirituality, I suppose, but people who are, you know, open to spiritual questions and religious conversations, or Christians who are moving, do they tend to be non-white as well, or is it a mix? Uh, yeah, it's a mix, but there are there are real strong ethnic churches here, strong you know, Chinese churches, Filipino churches yeah. um, that, that are pretty strong, Korean churches, pretty strong communities there. Those exist. They, they tend to be smaller. They tend to be um, small, tiny family. I mean, that's that's when, you know, when people are immigrating here, they really latch on to the church where that becomes their community. A lot of times folks will come here and they, um, you know, they don't speak English. They're learning the way of the land and they, they gravitate to, um, to family and ethnic churches and that's where they find their home. And so, yeah, there's great, great stuff God's doing there. Uh, one of the impressions I have, uh, because I hear about it from everybody who, who lives in California, is just how much more expensive everything is. The cost of living is outrageous. The tax rate is high. Yeah. Uh, gas, uh, you know, home prices, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, our our mutual friend, uh, Stephen Um, who you yeah. co-wrote Why Cities Matter with, yes. uh, great book. Uh, he once said, I you know, heard him say that, that in New England, as he was trying to raise funds, from churches outside New England for New England church planting, and folks were would complain about like, gosh, for you know the amount of money you're asking for, I could plant three churches in Birmingham, you know, or, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. And he famously said, um, in in New England, things take twice as long and cost twice as much. Yes. 
does that resonate with the with the Silicon Valley experience, or is it even is it three times as long and three times as much? Or? Yeah, you know, the long thing doesn't resonate. I mean, this place, the speed here is just so fast. Everything, okay, okay, everything is just fast, and so and, and same with church planning. But um, the cost, yeah, except it's more. I mean, three times as much, <laughs> not more. Right. I mean, it's it's um, you know it's insane here. Um, obviously, home prices. You know, we're doing this this talk right now here in August. July home prices have started to come down, you know, a little bit across the nation, just a bit, but it's, it's wild. I mean, the median price for a home in Silicon Valley is the, the median is $1.6 million for a single family home. So the, these numbers are numbers that are on a totally different scale than, than the rest of the nation, other than, you know, pockets of other coasts. Um, you know, that's why when you look at when, you know, elder teams here try to figure out, hey, how are we going to do compensation for our staff members and all that? And you look at some of those national surveys that come out for pastors, all that, you look at that and they're just incredibly unhelpful for, for here <laughs> because it doesn't factor in, you know, any kind of cost of living here. Yeah, gas is so much more expensive, tax rates, all that. When you're raising money to, to plant, uh, I'm assuming a lot, a large portion of if you have supporting churches or you, is in state and as people who kind of understand. But as you're trying to, as you talk to those outside, whether you know church partnerships that you have outside the region or or other organizations, maybe wh- what do you say to them? How do you? Yeah, you, yeah. Give me the cliff notes. Uh, sell you know sales pitch for. Well, I, I did that a lot <laughs> the first two years of the church when we were raising money and uh, really set the goal. Most church plants take five years to become financially independent. I set the goal of doing that in two years, just knowing it's so expensive here. And I just it, I just wanted to be super aggressive about it and yeah, and we achieved that, which was awesome. But now we're in a place where I'm looking at, hey, I think I need to fundraise again, and that is because of the amount of folks that we have moving out of here because people move away and their giving stops. Uh, and the new people come into our church, and it's great, all the new people that are starting to come in to our church um, here post-COVID. But typically that takes several months before those folks earn the trust, uh, earn your trust and start to, to give. So like I started something new called Garden City Patrons, not anyone who's been part of our church that moves away, uh, asking them, hey, go to your new church and city, make them the primary place you give to, but consider still giving some of your giving to Garden City because you guys know it's so expensive here and we, we need that help. Um, I'm also looking at you know what we were just talking about. I need to probably go to some churches and organizations afresh and cast vision for giving to Garden City for these same reasons you're saying. So I think what that looks like is what we're talking about. Hey, this place is incredibly expensive and full of opportunity. The, the need here is massive. Uh, the vast majority of the population, you know, Jonah doesn't know the right hand from their left, does, does, does not know the God of the Bible, does not know the hope that's to be found in Jesus Christ and the life to be found in him. And for, for you to give dollars to this place, you're impacting a region that's impacting the entire world. If we can impact Silicon Valley with the gospel through church planning, making disciples, we have an opportunity to impact the whole world. Uh, just to take our church alone, you know, we've got people in all the com- all the companies we named and you hear about influencing those companies and shaping those companies. And then we've got people that after they've been with us for a few years, God's sending them to all different parts of America and all the different parts of the world with whose lives are going to be transformed and who are making disciples there. So the return on giving to supporting Garden City and anyone listening to this, go to GardenCity.life, our website, and you can support us. It's great. You can even give in Bitcoin. We take Bitcoin now as well as a church and <laughs> support us because we, uh, 
we could sure we sure need it, and it's a great way for people to use their funds. I'm not sure that's anything you'd ever hear about from a church outside of Silicon Valley. So yeah. thank you for the the uniqueness. Uh, brother, what is the entry point for gospel conversation, the, um, sharing the gospel with people in, in, in your area? What points of contact are you trying to make? What connection? What are, yeah. you know, yeah? Well, what's the, the preface to a gospel conversation like? Obviously, it, de- it depends on stage of life and the person and personality and, and line of work and the idols and all that. But something I can speak to just immediately is like right now, we're, I'm doing an eight-week sermon series on anxiety, and that entry point has been incredible. I mean, just people are anxious right now. We, you feel that in our world. We feel that in our nation that's so divided. We feel that here in Silicon Valley, just the anxiety and the worry that is there, you know, the the intense acute anxiety and just the low grade anxiety. And so preaching into that has been incredibly fruitful. I'm just two weeks into an eight week series on Jesus's words, Matthew 6, 25 through 34 in the Sermon on the Mount, where in that text is so awesome. Jesus gives us eight reasons to not worry. And I'm just taking a week at a time to unpack each of those reasons and our, just two weeks in, the response has been amazing, amazing from non-Christians who are very, very curious. My, my non-Christian friends and friends of people in our church, non-Christians that hear that our church is preaching on and talking about anxiety, that just hooks them. They're just anxious and they don't know why. And they're, they're coming in and they're hearing about, they're learning, we're unpacking some of the dynamics of anxiety and they're hearing about what Jesus has to say. Because we have really, we have good reasons to worry. Like our world is world's a mess and it's dangerous out there and this or that could happen. There's all this uncertainty, but Jesus gives us even better reasons to not worry. And as we work, as we're working through those as a church, I'm finding that right now that really, that really connects. The, the two biggest things I'm seeing connect right now with non-believers is anxiety and uh, friendship slash isolation. People are isolated. People are lonely. People long for friendship and to, to give people a community where they can find real friendship with others, um, even others you know who, who believe differently than them, and then ultimately find friendship with the living God. That has been awesome. God's using that. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear you mention the friendship piece uh, for a couple of reasons. One is just we're seeing the almost like the health impact, the um, the epidemic of loneliness. I, there was a recent article. By recent, probably two or three years ago, about middle-aged men, there's actually a health crisis yes. that loneliness is actually leading to a variety of of issues. You know that's causing a health crisis. But also, I, my picture of what what workplaces in Silicon Valley are like, and I'm sure it's driven just by characters and media presentations. But like they're all working together in the room with the <laughs> right. ping pong tables and the <laughs> yeah, it's a big fraternal. You know, Google's like a big frat party kind of thing. Right. But, you know, just in the larger picture of of how social life goes today, we're more connected than we've ever been and we're less relationally close. Right. I mean, you can with anybody and I'm sure it's just like that on on steroids. Yeah. And I think the toll of the pandemic just hit hard here. So, like, yes, that is your traditional image of Google. Right. Like I go visit people in my church in these workplaces all the time. And it's yeah, there it is the 
crazy get like a it's like a college campus scene in at like a google apple's a little more under control a little more buttoned up meta facebook's pretty wild um but you know these people have been out of their workplaces for two and a half years now they've only just started going back and there's big changes in these companies like one of my good buddies in the church who works at meta facebook you know his big problem a couple years ago was the commute he would sit this is what he would always kind of you know, not, not complaining about, but just was hard. He would be in traffic for an hour, one way there, one way back every night. And, and this just really hard on him and his family. Now his big issue is he doesn't go in the office at all. And there's just lots of isolation in a really noisy house. He goes in the office once a month, if that, because his team is spread in New York and in London, there's not even a reason for him to go in the office. And it's almost like, man, I kind of miss that commute now. I've got a different set of problems. And so, so these people, most people here aren't going back to the office. I mean, there's a big issues. There's in the news, what I think yesterday with Apple, Apple's trying to get their employees back in the office. They spent, you know, billions of dollars on their new campus here that opened up right before the pandemic, but there's a big revolt against it. You have a lot of employees saying, no, I work, I work better at home or I've got a medical issue and all that, but all of those things have consequences and the consequences are people are more isolated and they're staring at the screen. And there was a study that came out that talked about a lot of the fallout from I think what they called it, like secondary connections. It's, it's not that you weren't getting time with your best friend, you know, or your family member, but it's, you weren't getting good time with the person at the grocery store that you say hello to. You weren't getting good time with that neighbor that you used to have that chat with and um, that teacher, that, that co-worker in the office. And it just, we lost all those sort of secondary connections that helped us feel more connected and human and social and like we belong somewhere. Yeah. And uh, a lot of that's falling apart. Yeah, man, that's, I'd never even thought of that, brother. There's got to be just the general stability or health in the background of just the matrix of social relationships yeah. by living in society. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. yeah. It's kids, students, young people, you know, the hardest. So wild wild times we've been living in, man. It's crazy. It it really is. I'm glad you touched on the workplace business because you're the only, I I know a lot of guys do this, but you're the only guy that I, that I regularly think of as part of your pastoral care and just part of, you know, being a pastor. There's something that I should do as well. And I try to train my students to think about. As they're, because when they think visitation in today's context, a lot of them are thinking like, well, you know, is that really even a thing anymore? Would I go see the shut-ins and that sort of thing? And, and depending on your context, you would. But and and for a lot of us, the workplace visit is actually a pretty uh, viable option. But yeah, it's more fun if you're in a context. So like where I was at, I had a lot of outdoorsy guys who they're working on timber frame homes or. Nice running scrap metal or something. And I would just, you know, go for a ride. And that's my Thursday is we're we're going to drop metal off, but you've got some places that you go. You mentioned Facebook and Apple and what does the workplace visit look like in your ministry, man? Well, I've done very little of them the last two and a half years because things were shut down. I always love that. It, yeah, I love it. I mean, whether I'm visiting, you know, a a blue collar worker um, making, you know, doing some of his stuff, whether I'm going to a tech office, whether I'm visiting a teacher, you know, at a school. I love it. I love, I, it's just part of knowing and loving your people uh, and knowing your context and knowing who you're pastoring. And, and that's where people spend most of their time all week long at, at their workplace, uh, doing the increase of the day. It's not at their workplace, but doing their work from their laptop for a lot of folks. Um, and I just love doing that. We also, 
Uh, we also love featuring that in our services. And it doesn't take, this is a really easy thing. Some of the few folks listening to this probably do something like this, but you know, once a month, we just did this on Sunday. Once a month, pick one vocation, one calling uh, that's in the church, have a person that's representative of that calling, bring them up in front of the church, just three minutes. Say, okay, what? tell us what you do and where you do it. So we had a gal, Nicole Chi, who spoke this last Sunday. She told us about the work she does in, in, in schools as a behavioral therapist working with troubled kids. Second question, what, what do you love about your job? She gets to talk about that a little bit. Third question, what's something that's difficult, a way we could pray for you? You know, and she shares that. And then we have all our other teachers, school educators in the church stand up so we know who they are. And we just take a minute and, and pray for them. And uh, it's a really cool way. Then each month, pick a different vocation, a different line of work and feature that. And it's just it's just one small way to show the church. We really value what you do, how you work for the common good in our city. Uh, we love you. We see you. We care about you. And that's been a really powerful thing for our church That yeah. with the workplace visits. Yeah, that is amazing. That's awesome. I, I hope folks listening will consider some of these things um, as well. And, and it's just, you know, even to step into your uh, you know, congregants world, to step into the, you know, the weekly context of the people that you're trying to minister to, a lot of them take great pride in kind of the work they're doing. And yeah. um, it kind of bridges sometimes a gap that is a lot of times unspoken, but this right. gap between those of us who do the real work and those of us who do this ministry stuff, you know, right. um, to just see um, what their world is like. Um, last question, brother. Th- uh, yeah. I really appreciate your time, but if someone is interested in like, okay, how would I, if I wanted to join a church plant or if I wanted to think about being on mission in a place like Silicon Valley, what would you tell them? So, so first of all, not just what do they need, but what kind of person should they be, right? What, what kind of wiring makes the ideal on, on mission, not necessarily someone who's even planting a church, but they just want to come and be a part of a church. And But even if they do want to be a ministry leader, what kind of person should they be? What does it take? You got a couple things in that question, man. Okay. So I know, there's a lot of things. I'm sorry. <laughs> so not someone who's not someone who wants to plant a church in Silicon Valley, just someone who's interested either, in either either or. I was trying to leave it a wide field so you could answer it how, <laughs> yeah, how well, you want it. But <laughs> well, I mean, generally, I mean, you know the rule. Generally, most church plants are most successful when the person who's planting the church is from there, lives there, or is within, I think it's like two to three hours where the church is planted because they know the place, they know the climate, they know the cultures. So I think that's true. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys come and plant here that came from out of state, from far away. There, there have been some that have been successful. Most have not. Most have come here and just this place kind of kind of ate them up. But it's not because of any weakness of their part. It's just they didn't have the support system. They didn't know the culture, the the pace, the expense, the, the, the people were, were foreign. And it was really challenging. I think people that thrive, that if they're not from here and they're moving here, the people that thrive in Silicon Valley are folks that are adventurous, that are entrepreneurial, that are um, really flexible, that are kind of tough, open to, hey, things might not go the way I want them to go, but I'm going to keep pressing on. And I think that's what uh, churches here need if folks are going to move here and be part of uh, doing good work here. And they also need folks that are going to put down roots. We, we tell people you know, thing we've heard Keller say forever. And if, even if you're only thinking about being here for a couple of years, think about staying for long, longer, um, really focus on being all in while you are here. That's what our, our city needs, not people just coming and using Silicon Valley to try to get get rich or get some stock options or get a promotion and then, and then move home. 
we need folks that want to come and love this place. The need here is tremendous. So my wife and I decided just to, to live and die here, and that's what we're what we're going to do. So we need folks that want to do the same thing. Praise God. Brother, thanks so much. Is there anything else you feel like we ought to know, think about, anything we, we didn't touch on? How were, you and I haven't talked in a bit. How many books have you written now? What do you <laughs> I feel like every time I see something, you like write it. I write a sermon, you write a book. I don't know how this thing works. I think I haven't counted in a in a while, but I think I'm writing right now number twenty five. That's that's a lot, man. A lot I mean, did you did you write more during the pandemic? Because things were no, no, okay. same pace. Yeah, same pace. Okay, gotcha, <laughs> man. Well, I haven't read one of your books in a long time. I'll have to. I just can't. I can't keep up. Yeah. All right. Well, the, I, I'm writing them for posterity, man. So. Yeah. You know, so to the the next generation, that, that's what it's all about. I think the last one you wrote that I read, uh, maybe there's something else, but The Pastor's Justification. That's okay. a good book, man. Well I've done. had like 13 books since that one, man. <laughs> okay. Well, I read that one and that was well, good. good. Yeah, I, I underlined stuff. I drew pictures in there, I think. That yeah, was good. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Yeah. Justin, it's it's always great talking with you, man. Uh, I wish you well, fruitful ministry. Thanks for sharing your heart and and your context with us today, man. Yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure. And dear listeners, always, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.